Amen. Lord, we thank You for the truth of those words that we sing this morning. We thank You that You are the living God, that You are here with us this morning by Your Holy Spirit. And so we open our hearts to You now, great God. We want to hear from You. And I pray that You'll find within us a people responsive to Your Word, obedient to the call You've given to us, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' Name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I just want to add my welcome again to you. So great to have you with us, particularly if this is your first time. We're really glad you're here. And uh, it's, it's part of where we're in the middle at the moment of a series called He Came. Is the series that we're in. We're looking at four key passages in the Bible in the lead up to Christmas, getting very close now, that explain why Jesus came that first Christmas. What was His mission? What was His purpose? And what does this mean for us And what does it mean for our world as well? Last week, we saw from 1 Timothy chapter 1 that Jesus came to save sinners. And so today we're going to look at another passage. We're going to look at Luke chapter 4 from verse 14. It'll come up on the screen behind, or you might want to follow along in your Bible or on your device. But this passage we're going to look at is directly following Jesus' temptation in the wilderness And Jesus is about to commence his ministry. And many will say that this was Jesus' first ever sermon, his first message he ever gave. And he uses it to explain very clearly who he is and why he came in this message. So it's Luke chapter 4. Let me read it to you. This is what it says. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and unrolling it he found the place where it was written from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on Him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is God's word to us this morning. And here is the second he came passage that we are looking at. Jesus says here that he came to bring good news to the poor and for the oppressed and for the prisoner and for the weak. And we see here in this passage Specifically, four groups of people mentioned. They are the poor, the prisoners, the blind, and the oppressed. And the question that often gets asked of this passage, with regards to these four groups of people, the question often gets asked is this one. Is Jesus talking about their social condition or their spiritual condition? Does Jesus mean the gospel is good news for those who are economically poor, those who are in prison, those who are physically blind, those who are being oppressed? Or is he talking about the spiritual condition of people, the poor in spirit, um, those held captive by sin, those who are blind spiritually to the truth, those who are oppressed by the evil one. Which, which one is it? People have wrestled with this. Is it referring to a social condition or a spiritual condition? 
And the short answer is it's both. He's actually referring to both. We see in the Gospels that Jesus did feed the poor and the hungry. Jesus spoke about ministering to those in prison. He did heal the blind. He did minister to those who were oppressed, the lowest in society, the outcasts and the forgotten. This was so much the focus of Jesus' ministry, but he also spoke to a deeper spiritual condition. Jesus did on many occasions. He said that we are poor in spirit, Matthew 5 verse 3, that we're spiritually bankrupt. He says that we are captives to sin. John 8 34 talks about the fact that we are in bondage to sin, that we have been blinded spiritually. John chapter 9 says this, that we've been blinded to the truth. And that we have been oppressed by the evil one. Matthew 12, verse 28, talks about the fact that we are in this spiritual battle. And so last week, it's it's both. It's both sides of this. And last week, we focused in on the spiritual dimension that Jesus came to save sinners. First and foremost, this was his mission. But today, I want to highlight the fact that Jesus also came to bring justice that he identified, especially with the poor and the needy and the oppressed, and that God is a God of justice. And we see here in this passage that Jesus has three tasks. Remember, this is the very start of his ministry. And it follows a pattern when we look at this scripture here, that it follows a chiastic structure, which is very common in Hebrew writing. There are three tasks that are repeated. So let me put up on the structure on the screen to sort of help us get the emphasis of the passage. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me, A, to proclaim good news to the poor, B, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. C, and recovery of sight for the blind. Then back to B, to set the oppressed free. And A, back to A again, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. This is this chiastic structure common in Hebrew writing. If you break it down a little bit more simply again, you begin to see the emphasis. Let me simplify it a bit more. It says, A, he came to proclaim good news. B, to bring freedom. C, to bring healing. B, to bring healing, and A, to proclaim the good news. So you're getting the the pattern here, the structure here. Author Kenneth Bailey explains it like this. He says it's proclamation, first and foremost, followed by justice advocacy. Then at the very heart is compassion, followed by justice advocacy and proclamation again. So Jesus' ministry I want you to see his first of all one of proclamation. He proclaimed the good news. That is what the word gospel means. The good news of the message of the coming of the kingdom of God. The message of God's grace and forgiveness that comes through repentance and faith. Made possible through the cross. Speaking about our spiritual condition first and foremost. But it is also all about action about engaging in social justice. And at the center of it all is Jesus' compassion and love. And again and again in the scriptures, we see this, Jesus being moved by compassion as he looks out over the crowd. So here we have this ministry model of Jesus right at the very start of his ministry. In his first sermon, he gives proclamation of the good news, caring for those in need, demonstrating compassion and love. Recently, I read the story of John Bunn. 
John, um, when he was just 14 years of age, was accused of carjacking and murdering two off-duty correctional officers. Even though at the time, you know, just 14 years of age, he was actually sound asleep in his bunk bed in his mother's apartment. But in this massive miscarriage of justice, he was convicted and sentenced to prison. And he spent 27 years wrongly convicted of murder. Finally, after years of pleading his innocence and the case being reinvestigated, he was released. He is now 41 years old and he is now trying to use his life to help others, to help other inmates and help those who have had a similar experience of injustice. But when we hear stories of injustice like John Bunn's, there's something that wells up within us, isn't there, that says, how could this happen? This is not fair. We, we want justice. You know, when you watch a movie and the bad guy is winning, we want the good guy to triumph, don't we? We want the bad guy to come to justice. There is nothing worse than watching a movie where the bad guy ends up winning in the end. I don't want to pay money to watch a movie like that, just between you and me. I want the good guy to win. I want justice to come. We long for justice, don't we? Deep inside, we want right to be rewarded, evil to be punished. I see this in my own kids. If on an occasion, a special occasion, we might be having some soft drink and I have all of their cups lined out on the table and I am pouring the drink into all the cups, guess what my kids are doing? They are at eye level to the cups like this, <laughs> making sure that every cup is exactly the same level. It's in, it's in us right from when we're very young. We want justice. This is important and there is a reason for this. It's because God has hardwired us this way. We were created in God's image and God is a God of justice. Let me read to you Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. It says this, this is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches, but those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth, that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is God's heart. English theologian and author N.T. Wright has a very clever way of reminding us of God's influence in our lives. He uses the example of having a bad dream, which after waking, we don't remember uh, all the details of it, but we remember this unsettled emotional experience resulting from, from that dream. The dream has passed, but the effects of it echo into our day, even though we don't, can't remember exactly all the details of it. And Wright says that this is also true of God in Western nations. For many people, there seems no memory of God or acknowledgement of God's existence, but Wright believes that there are many echoes of God in humanity. And he gives four examples. He says, firstly, our desire for relationships. We are relational people who seek to connect. 
He says, that's an echo of God. Secondly, there's the spirituality in all of the cultures around the world. He says, that's another echo of God. Thirdly, he says, our appreciation of beauty. When we look at something in creation, think, wow, that is incredible. He says, that's another one. And finally, he says, justice. The fact that we long for justice. He says, these are echoes of God in our lives. Even when we try to deny him, In our culture, we can't get away from these influences, these echoes, because we are created in the image of God. Deep down, we long for justice. It's hardwired into us. One of the most famous passages expressing God's heart for justice is found in Isaiah chapter 58. And in it, we see this picture of God's people who seem to be doing everything right. This passage tells us that they were seeking God out, that they were seeking him day after day. They were eager to know his ways. They were worshiping God, seeking him, not just every now and again. They were doing this you know, daily. They were seeking God, worshiping him. They were even fasting, asking God to lead them. But God tells the prophet to tell them, the prophet Isaiah to tell them that, that to, to declare to my people that they are actually in, in rebellion, that, that they are actually in sin, Why? Why does he tell them this? Because he says, I have missed my heart for justice. Let me read it to you. It's a very powerful passage. Isaiah 58 says, Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear." Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. What a powerful passage. This is, this is revealing to us God's heart. And what God is saying to them is, is, if you think you have a relationship with me and you don't have a relationship with the poor and the oppressed, then you are mistaken. If you don't have a relationship with the poor and the oppressed, you don't really know me. You don't really know my heart. Why would God say that? 
Well, this isn't the only place God says this. In Zechariah chapter 7, it's almost a perfect parallel passage to Isaiah 58. In Zechariah 7, this is what God says to the people. He says, when you fasted and mourned, was it really for me that you fasted? Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow and the fatherless, the foreigner and the poor is what it says. This has been called the quartet of the vulnerable in Scripture, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. In pre-modern agrarian societies, these four groups had no social power. And God says we are to care for them, that these, these people need, um, need the care of God's people, need to know their love, His love. And then in chapter 1 of Isaiah, this is what God says, Stop bringing meaningless offerings. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow, is what he says. So over and over, God is saying, if you think you have a relationship with me and you're not involved in the needs of the poor, if you think you are seeking me, but you are not seeking out the poor and the oppressed, you aren't actually seeking me. You don't have a relationship with me. Why would God say this? Well, here's why. Proverbs 14 verse 31 says, says, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. And Proverbs 19, 17 says, if you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord and he will repay you. You see, the scriptures reveal that God identifies with the people at the bottom of the ladder. He calls himself a father to the fatherless, a husband to the widow. He identifies with the poor and the oppressed. Well, that's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? What does the New Testament have to say about this? Well, in the New Testament, Jesus looks at the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and he does exactly the same thing that he does in Isaiah 58 and Zechariah 7 and Isaiah 1. He goes to the Pharisees and he says this in Matthew 23. He says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, he says, for you are careful to tithe even to the tiniest income of your herb gardens. In other words, you keep the finest details of the law, but you ignore the most important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things, he says. And so he is saying, as religious as you are, write down the finest details of seeking to keep my law. If you don't care about justice and the poor and the oppressed, you don't really know me. You don't really have a true relationship with me. This is what Jesus is saying. Not only that, Jesus tells a story. He says, on the last day, there are going to be two groups of people. He says, there's going to be those who cared for the poor and the needy and those who didn't? Matthew 25, famous words. He says, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison 
and go to visit you. And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me, he says. The story is told of a wealthy older woman. Apparently, it's a a true story. She had never married. She had no children to serve as heirs. She only had one close relative, a nephew who hoped to inherit her money. And he'd always been gracious and attentive in her presence, but she had heard things from others that made her doubt her impression. And the disposal of her wealth was no small matter, and she had to be sure that the person who received it would use it wisely and generously. And so she decided to take matters into her own hands. One morning, she dressed in tattered clothes, appearing to be a homeless person, and she lay on the steps of his urban townhouse, the urban townhouse of her nephew. When he came out, he cursed at her and told her to leave or he would call the police. And she knew in that moment what his heart was really like. His response to the poor woman revealed his true nature. And the God of the Bible says, I am the poor on your doorstep. Your attitude towards them reveals your attitude toward me. This is what Jesus is saying here. So Jesus came for all people. You need to know that. He came for everyone. He came for the rich and the poor. He came for the religious and the irreligious. He came for the slave, the free, the Jew, the Gentile. The Bible is so clear on this. He came for all people. We saw that last week as well. But Jesus identifies very much with the people at the bottom. The Christmas story reveals this to us. When God came to earth in the form of Jesus Christ, he was born in a feed trough. He didn't come to a palace. He came to a feed trough. The first people to hear the announcement of his birth and to visit him were the lowly shepherds. They were the first people to hear the good news. When his parents took him to circumcision, their offering was two pigeons, which was the offering that was accepted from the lowest rung on the economic ladder. That means that they were the poorest of the poor, his parents. Jesus was essentially homeless. He always said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And at the end of his life, he rode into town on a borrowed donkey. His last meal was in a borrowed room. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. As he hung on the cross, they cast lots for his only possession, his robe. He was stripped of everything. As he hung on the cross, he was poor. God became poor. More than that, he became oppressed. He didn't just become poor, he became a victim of injustice. The innocent judge guilty, just like John Bunn. Why? Why would he do this? Why did he do this? Well, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake, for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the message that transforms lives. 
Tim Keller says, if you understand that at all, it radically changes your way of looking at poor people. It gives you this passionate, loving desire to do something for them as Christ did for you. And it's not a guilt response. It is a love response, a response, a natural response when we understand the grace and love that God has shown to us through Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for us. So this is God's heart. He came to bring good news to the poor. The poor in spirit, yes, but also the socially poor and the oppressed. And we are part of his mission, bringing his love and justice and hope and healing to our world. Proclamation, first and foremost, proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Justice, advocacy, caring for those in need. Compassion and love, revealing God's great love for this world. His compassion for each and every person. Recently, I heard um, this story from our streetlight homeless ministry that ministers just down here in Aspley, David Dixon, who leads Streetlight, wrote the following story. He messaged this in. He said, just a quick note from Streetlight. This is just from a couple of weeks ago. He said, our dessert person didn't show up tonight, so we had to quickly go to the shops nearby, but they had very little. I was worried we didn't have enough. My daughter, Holly, advised we should just pray that Jesus will feed the 5,000. We love the faith of, of children, young ones. Well, as we were praying in the car, Pat and Veronica Donnelly turned up from church. I've never met them. They have never been to Streetlight and they delivered 60 cherry and almond tarts for dessert. What a wonderful blessing that our God provides everything, especially last minute. Bless you, Dave. How good is that church? Isn't that an awesome story? Praise God. You see, this is God's heart. He cares. Desperately, he cares for those in need. Just as I came into the service this morning, someone handed me a note that was written by someone as they came in this morning. This is what this person wrote. It said, I received a food hamper a few years ago from Bridgie Church. I'm a single mum and I was so grateful for the food, care and love shown by people. I felt alone and invisible and struggling in so many areas. Today, I have joined a wonderful KY group, KYB group and, and back at church. God is so good. Thank you, Bridgie. And this person came with their own hamper items to bring this morning. Isn't that awesome, church? Praise God for stories like that. This is God's heart. I want you to hear this, church. And so today, as we close, I want to give us an opportunity to respond to God's word to us, that he came to bring good news to the poor. And as a church, this is our calling as well. Our mission statement as a church actually comes from Luke 9.11. God gave us this verse after we prayed for 120 days of prayer back in 2001 when we first moved into our original auditorium. This is what Luke 9.11 says, our, our mission verse God's given to us. Jesus welcomed the crowds. That's compassion. That's a heart of compassion. Jesus had compassion on the crowds. And he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. That's proclamation, proclaiming the good news. And then he healed those who needed healing. That is caring for those in need in practical ways. This is our calling as a church. This is the mission God has given us, to follow Jesus' example, to reflect God's heart, demonstrating compassion and love. 
proclaiming the good news, caring for those in need. What a great mission strategy, isn't it? It's straight from Jesus. You can't get any better than that. A mission strategy from him. And as we pray and ask the Holy Spirit to move in us, as we seek to fulfill this mission, we can be expectant of of the mighty things God wants to do as his heart is to transform this community and beyond as well. And so today as we close, I want to pray for many in our church who are on the front lines, involved in the front lines of our care ministries here in the church. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you actually just to stand where you are and we want to pray for you as you reflect. We're all part of this, but some of you are serving on the front line of these care ministries. Some of you might not even realise all the different ways in which we are seeking to fulfil this Firstly, today we want to pray for our streetlight ministry that I just mentioned, ministering to homeless in our local community here, feeding people, caring for people. Um, David and Sarah Dixon and this amazing team that are involved in doing this. We want to pray for our streetlight team very specifically this morning. We want to pray for our bridge care team, for Pastor Jody, Pastor David, an amazing team involved in our bridge care ministry. They meet weekly on a Thursday, heading out to bless people in need in our community, doing practical helps around their homes, tidying up yards, cleaning houses, just seeking to love people. And included in our bridge care ministry is our sewing and our knitting groups who who meet together and they um, create these beautiful items that go out to bless people in need in our world and in our community as well, coming under our bridge care ministry there. We actually have a new vision for bridge care next year to expand it further. The White House is going to be turned into our bridge care community hub for our community and and we're going to have an op shop there as well as we seek to keep reaching out and loving people in need in our community. We want to pray today for G'day Saturday and for our English Corner Ministries as well, blessing people who have recently moved from other nations to Australia. You know, their heart is to help these ones, to, to integrate in, to learn English, to support them in practical ways. Just as we saw in the scriptures, this is God's heart. He said this for the immigrant, for the foreigner, to love them. We want to pray as well. You might not even know this, but we actually have a widows group that meets here in the church, a group of ladies who meet together to support one another. Um, and we've been running this now for a little while, but not only do they meet to support one another, their heart is to bless others, others in our world. This is what they do. They get funds together and send them out to bless others in the world. We want to pray for those involved in our overseas work that are blessing those in need in developing nations. Those who are working in the Solomon Islands, we have a team getting ready to go out and to set up a cocoa dryer over there. Uh, our workers all around the world in areas of need. We're praying specifically at the moment for Sandra Perry, who is seeking to get access to a second prison in Cambodia to bless these prisoners, to share the good news of the gospel with them. We want to pray for Sandra in the ministry. Our Christmas offering this year is going towards the work of hope and care for little souls in the Congo. Steve and Julie Shoemaker from our church here have done an amazing job establishing this work in partnership with their connections in the Congo there, providing education and care for children in one of the poorest and most war-ravished areas of our world. When you hear the stories of injustice that they experience, your heart breaks 
My mind can't even comprehend the injustice in this area. We have an opportunity this Christmas to partner with this ministry, the work of Steve and Julie and the work of the teams over there this Christmas time. And finally today, we want to pray for our hamper team for the team that are leading that, for Mary, Miriam, Marie, Pastor Trish, many others who are going to be involved packing the hampers this week as well. We want to pray for you. Ask God will bless you and bless all of these hampers that are going out. And so if you're a part of any of these groups I've just mentioned, I just want to ask you just to stand where you are right now. If you're involved in any of those ministries, just to stand on your feet. Did you get them? The Streetlight Team, our Bridge Care Ministries, G'day Saturday, English Corner, Widows Group, any of our overseas work, just to stand where you are right now. Don't be shy if you're connected with them, just to stand up right across the community as you are on the front line of many of the care ministries that we are a part of. Can we just put our hands together and give thanks to God for these ones who are a part of this? You know, I know that there are many others. Stay standing. Don't sit down. We've got to pray for you. So just keep standing for a moment. I know that there are many others here as well. I want to say this, that are caring on your own front line. There are many of you who are doing this exact same thing on your front line, in your workplace, in your family, in your neighbourhood, um, that you are seeking to do this, out, connect with other organisations, blessing people in need in our world. And I want to say thank you, church, for your heart to do that. Because it's part of, that's part of the body of Christ and networks right across this community and beyond. It's incredible, in fact. It's amazing, those connections. And there are so many expressions of God's love and care and generosity right across this church all the time. I, I wish I could tell you, that's one of the privileges I get to hear, all the time expressions of love and care that are demonstrated. It's amazing. And I want to say thank you this morning too to many here who give regularly towards the work of God in this community. I want to say thank you to you because your gifts of generosity, your gifts, sacrificial giving, those who are regularly committed to giving here, I want to say thank you for your heart of generosity. Without that, it is that giving that resources this vision, that resources the ability to reach out, to fulfill the call God has given us, to bless those in need in our community, bless those in need in our world. And so this involves all of us this morning. And so we want to pray. I actually just want to pray a blessing over these ones particularly and over us as a church, and then we're going to worship together. Let me pray now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for those who are standing this morning, Lord, on the front line of some of the care ministries here in our church. And Lord, we want to pray this morning for a special anointing of your Holy Spirit upon them, Lord. For these ones that you have called in specific ways, Lord, gifted, Lord, heart of mercy and compassion and grace that you have given to them in a special measure, Lord. We pray your blessing on them today, Lord. We pray for these ministries. We pray for Streetlight, Lord. Bless David and Sarah and the ministry team there. Thanks for the stories we continue to hear. For Bridge Care, Lord. Bless that ministry as we seek to expand it next year. Lord, we are praying for a wave of love to sweep over this community, great God. For G'day Saturday in English Corner, Lord, we thank you for how you have led us in this ministry to bless people from other nations. Lord, this is so close to your heart. Bless that widow's group, Lord, we pray. May they know your nearness and your love and your presence. Thanks for their heart to reach out and bless others. For our overseas workers, those working the Solomons, for Sandra this morning, for this second prison, Lord, we pray that you will grant access there, we ask. Open the door, great God. Your heart, Lord to bless prisoners, to set the prisoners free, Lord. This is your heart. 
We want to pray for the work of hope and care for little souls in the Congo, Lord. Oh, the need there is great, Lord. And I pray that this offering at Christmas will bless them, Lord. Encourage Mozart and the team over there. Even today, Lord, may they know that we are standing with them, praying for them, Lord. And again, for these hampers as they go out this week, Lord. Use them powerfully, Lord. As we hear that story of the blessing from the hampers in the past, do it again, we pray. And Lord, this is our heart. We want to say this is your people. Thanks for many who give regularly, sacrificially here, Lord, to resource this, Lord, to bless those in our community and beyond. Thank you, Lord, for their heart. Thank you, Lord. Bless them as well, I pray. And we thank you, Jesus, that you who are rich became poor for us that through your poverty we might know the riches of God's grace, salvation, eternal with you. We thank you, great God. And so we worship you now in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Let's stand together. Let's all stand together as we pray, respond in worship this morning and give thanks to our great God for his goodness, for his faithfulness to us. Amen. 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 Lord, this morning we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness, your kindness towards us as your people, great God. And so out of the overflow of our hearts, Lord, we want to be responsive to your call to us today. Lord, help us this very week, Lord, just to live as you've called us to live, to love as you have loved us. This is our prayer. And so, Lord, we just ask now, I ask for your blessing on each and every one, great God. You know, all the circumstances of our life, bless our conversations as we head out in the courtyard now as well. We pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Please be seated. Thanks so much for sharing with us this morning. If you'd like prayer, our prayer team will be down the front. At 9.30, we are heading over to the new basketball court out the back. We want to pray a blessing out there. You're all welcome to come and join us out there as we pray a blessing over the new basketball court. God bless.